0: When I first got to Bali, my husband and I weren't really in love with it the way everyone else was, because I think where we lived in Thailand, it was much more remote. There weren't as many foreigners. And so we just felt like we were really getting to experience Thailand in in an authentic way.
1: Hey everyone. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, the award winning podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman with Trini roots. Currently living and flourishing in Spain, I am not only a podcaster, but I am a business strategist that helps Black women and women of color leverage their talents and their expertise into viable and sustainable online businesses, businesses that make them professionally fulfilled and financially abundant while they pursue their thriving lives abroad. Welcome back to the podcast. If you're new, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. We've got a lot of things going on with the podcast and the platform until the end of the year. If you're listening in the future, currently it's 2022. <laughs> so if you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening with Flourish and the Foreign, be sure to go to flourishintheforeign.com, join the newsletter, and then open my emails when I send them to y'all. Okay, (laughs) go ahead and open those emails and you guys can get all the information for Move Abroad with Intention course, which is launching again soon for Build a Business Abroad group coaching for the masterclass and for some really interesting things that are coming up soon. So if you want to learn more about some of the products and services I offer, if you want to chat with me, which I'm actually thinking about having a meetup Y'all let me know if I should have a meetup stateside because I am coming stateside pretty soon. Would y'all be interested in that? Let me know. And remember that I am going to be doing an Ask Me Anything episode this year. So ask me something, y'all. Some of y'all have asked me, but like, ask me. You know, you slide my DMs, just go ahead and ask me a question. There's truly no question that's like Silly or ridiculous when it comes to Not only moving abroad But actually flourishing abroad Because if you've had it Plenty of other people have had it So be sure to ask me your question You can ask me the question By sliding in my DMs Twitter, Instagram leaving a comment in YouTube, which you guys have been doing a lot, which I appreciate. Definitely check out Flourish and 4 on YouTube. You can also go ahead and just email me, you know, email me your question, reply to the emails that I send out and ask me a question. All right. Now, y'all know this award-winning podcast is a labor of love, but y'all know it, labor. Nonetheless, so please support this here podcast if you like it, if you love it. You can support the podcast by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish by purchasing the Move Abroad with Intention Guide, the Build a Business Abroad Guide, or any of the great products and services that Flourish in the Foreign and me, Christine Job, have provided for you guys. And please be sure to leave a review for this here podcast if you like it, if you love it. Rate it five stars and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. It actually really does make a difference. So please go ahead and do that. And of course, continue to share the podcast, which you guys are really great about, and I love it so much. Please continue to share the podcast with your friends, your family, the colleagues that you like, only the ones that you like. (laughs) The ones that you don't like? No, that's okay. They don't need it. Just kidding. Just continue to share the podcast. I really do appreciate it. And with that, let's get to this week's episode. So today's episode is super different. Today is a podcast swap episode. Yay. Yeah. You know what it is here at Flourish and Foreign. I love and support Black women. That's my jam. That's what I'm all about. I'm all about the elevation and celebration of Black women. And today I'm bringing you an episode from a podcast by a Black woman. Today's episode is from Blacksit Global, which is Created, produced, and hosted by Krishan Wright, and I've actually been a guest on her podcast. So definitely check it out after you listen to this episode. You can listen to my episode. You can listen to all of her other wonderful episodes. So let me tell you a little bit about Blacksit Global. So Blacksit Global is a podcast that features inspiring conversations with trailblazing Black expats who out of fear or frustration left their country of origin to live out their wildest dreams abroad. The podcast also chronicles the journey of Krishan as she prepares to make her Blacksit from the United States. And so the episode that y'all will be hearing today features Krishan's guest Esther Malanzi. And Esther is an author and writing coach. She is based in Bali, Indonesia. She grew up in North Carolina and she took her first international trip when she traveled to South Africa to meet some of her family for the first time. She's also traveled and lived in Thailand with her sister, and it's actually where she ultimately met her husband. In this episode, Esther really discusses how Bali has influenced her writing, her wellness practices, along with her entrepreneurial pursuits. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this lovely episode of at Global featuring Esther Malanzi, and so... I'm going to let Krishan tell you all about it.
2: I am super excited for this episode of the Black to Global podcast. And if you've been listening for some time, you might be familiar with my next guest. Esther Malanzi is a writer, creative, poet, tiny fiction writer, cat mom, space holder, rest advocate, coach, and wife. Her passions are bountiful. And in addition to all that, she's my accountability partner. And I am so excited to have her on the show. Welcome to Blacksick Global, Esther.
0: Oh my gosh, Kusan. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited and a little nervous, but I'm really grateful for you for hosting me.
2: And I'm so happy that we're accountability partners. And yeah, I'm excited. (laughs) Oh, yay. And what I did leave out was that you are joining from Bali, Indonesia, which makes our accountability partnership even that much more fun since we have a 13-hour time difference.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you're going to hear some roosters probably as we're chatting and probably little kids running around because of the neighborhood that I live in. But that's just part of the texture.
2: Yes, yes, yes. And I can't wait to one day go when it reopens. I love I'm excited about this conversation, particularly because while we have been accountability partners for a few months, this is really our first real opportunity to dive into your backstory. I know you grew up in North Carolina. Now you're in Bali, as I mentioned. Were you guys a traveling family? I just want to know a little bit about what it was like growing up.
0: Yeah, so my story actually begins before North Carolina. I grew up in North Carolina and that's where I was raised. But I was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. Half my family is Mormon. The other half of my family is Christian and Catholic. Yeah, I was born in in Utah. And then my mom got remarried. And my dad, my stepdad, he took us to Virginia and D.C. and North Carolina because he was a Marine. And we settled in North Carolina when I was about five years old. So I lived in a bunch of places before I even started kindergarten. And then as I was growing up, I learned about my grandparents and they were all educators and they all lived abroad. They did their Fulbrights in places like Nigeria. They lived in Yemen, France, Egypt. And actually that is where my mom and my stepdad met. They were high school sweethearts in Egypt. And then Because back in the 80s, they didn't have the technology that we do. So we're talking, you know, you're in America and I'm in Indonesia. They didn't have that technology and that access. So they ended up breaking up while they were in high school. And my mom got married to my biological father, who's South African. And then they were married for about three years before my mom got remarried to my stepdad, who they were third culture kids. They lived abroad. And so. Growing up was super interesting because they were always sharing their experiences through the lens of someone who's grown up somewhere else outside of America. So even though both of my parents were American, we grew up with this really big sense of culture and awareness about, you know, other things that were going on around the world. And then through the lens from my grandparents, we learned about, you know, international education. So that they were huge influences on me. And it's part of the reason why I became an international educator. And so I went to, the university of north carolina at greensboro in undergrad and i had the the focus of political science because i wanted to be an international refugee lawyer and then you know graduating from college i moved to dc and then was really like okay the political world is hard being a lawyer would be really difficult the the politics were really trying, but I knew I still wanted to be abroad and I still wanted to make an impact. So I went back to school. I went to Florida State for my master's in international education development. And that's when I applied to do the Peace Corps. And I actually got it, which was really exciting and really big, but they put a medical hold on me. And so I wasn't able to go with my class. And so then one of my professors shared with me that I could apply for a Fulbright. And I heard that term before. And I didn't realize it was because my grandparents had all done one. And so when my professor shared that with me, I was like, okay, this is really awesome because you get to go, you can kind of choose where you want to go. Whereas the Peace Corps, they send you to a place you can ask for preference, but a lot of times they don't um, necessarily let you know where you're going until the last minute. Whereas with Fulbright, I was able to specifically ask to go to South Africa so I could learn more about my heritage because I didn't grow up knowing my biological father. So I got accepted. And in 2013 is when I got accepted and I met my cohort of 10 amazing individuals. And we all moved there in 2014. And that was my first lived abroad experience. And I lived there for 10 months in this incredible house in South Africa, which is about 40 minutes south of Johannesburg. My Fulbright was about 10 months while I was there. Half the time I was working, doing leadership, and literacy workshops at a local FET college, which is kind of like the equivalent of a community college for us in America. Then the other half of my time I was meeting my family. So my biological father had already passed, but I got to go to his grave and meet my siblings. I had a brother named Rogers and a sister named Elizabeth. And when I went up to our hometown of my of my family, they had this amazing, massive welcome home party for me. There was like 50 relatives They had shirts on. It said, welcome home, had my name on it. I mean, it was like out of a movie. I was just bawling the whole time. And really, it was hard for me to even process what was going on. But then I got to go to my father's grave and really dealt with a lot of healing. And I started journaling and blogging about my experience. And it's actually when I fell back in love with writing and I entered a three day writing competition with my housemates. I really started writing about my story and I really started writing using magical realism, which is the genre that I love the most. My Fulbright is coming to a close at the end of the 10 months. And I'm like, there's no way I can go back to America. I mean, the way that... I started to see things differently and started to appreciate different ways of thinking and different ways of living. And I was, I was not ready to go back. So I started looking for jobs in other places. And my sister had just finished her Teach for America program in Hawaii and was also looking to move abroad. So she got a position in Thailand. And so I decided to look for a role in Thailand as well. I found a position at a really like small intimate kindergarten and after school program. And so I applied for there, even though I'd never worked with young people in that way. I was a nanny for a brief stint in New York before I moved to South Africa for my baby cousin. But that was the extent of my early childhood care and education. So, but I went for it because I really loved their ethos and I really was looking forward to being in the same continent as my sister, Zuri. And then also, you know, wanted to try out a new place. So I got the, I got the role and my friends and I did a brief stint in India before we we went our separate ways. And then I moved to Thailand. And so South Africa was my first time living abroad, but I went with a group. I went with, you know, government support and I went with a lot of structure. And then moving to Thailand was really when I was kind of going on my own, even though my sister was going to be there, like we were having to navigate everything for ourselves. And what we found out when we got there is that Thailand is massive. So we had no idea how long Thailand was. And with the role that she took, she was doing a teaching certification for ESL. She had to do a training in Bangkok, which is kind of in the center. And and then they were going to place her. Whereas I found a school specifically where I already knew where I was going to be teaching. And it was in the south of Thailand, about three hours from Phuket. We found out that she got a role in the north of Thailand, which is right on on the border of Laos. And it was about a 20 hour drive to get to each other. So, and in terms of flights, it was two one hour flights to get to each other. So we ended up seeing each other probably like once every two months, but it was still really nice to be able to be on the same time zone, to be able to share different experiences about learning the language and the food and the education system over there. It was a really great bonding experience for us in our adulthood. That is also where I met My husband. So I've been living in Thailand for maybe six months. And one of my friends, he was from Canada and he told me, like, listen, you have to meet this guy from Fayetteville, North Carolina. He's got a fro. He's really cool. He's really chill. And I you should have seen my face. I was just like, okay. so you want me to meet the only other black person in like our towns? Because we live in these really small towns. There's maybe about 80 expats in each town there was this beach in between the two towns. So the two towns, I lived in Suratani and Lo, my, my husband, he lived in Nakansi Tamarat, which is about two hours away. There was a little in between beach town where all of the expats would go and hang out at this reggae bar called Jambay. Yeah. My friend Maddie was just like, you got to meet this guy. And I was like, ah, I'm okay. Like, I'm not trying to just meet somebody just because they're a person of color. Like I, you know, I'd love that and that's awesome. But like, I feel like you're intentionally just trying to like match make us. And then we ended up meeting and we hit it off right away. We, you know, we bonded over anime and traveling and music and just all sorts of things, literature. And we just we both had a lot of the similar reasons why we wanted to leave America and similar reasons why we wanted to leave North Carolina, developed a really strong friendship. I I pursued him romantically. And the rest is kind of history. We ended up getting married there on the same beach where we met a few years later. Yeah.
2: No, I'm loving the story arc. I mean, everything from you exploring and getting to know and reconnect with your family members in South Africa. And what a revelation and the emotional toll and journey that was and being able to get some level of resolution with your father's passing and reconnecting with your family members to going to Thailand and going with your sister, but then having 20 hours in between. But yet you still found a way to bridge the gap, bridge the divide, stay connected to each other, have and develop a sense of community, which ultimately led you to your husband, (laughs) which I think is such a romantic story. Because at least for me, when I hear, you know, your story, it is one where you clearly have blazed your own trail from the beginning. Each step along the path has led you to the right next move. Maybe it wasn't intentional, but as the story unfolds and comes together, you are right where you are meant to be. So that I, I just love hearing that part of the journey.
0: I love the way that you, you phrase that and put it back about the different steps, maybe not always being intentional or not always knowing where I was going to end up. But it's funny when I was looking for a job in, in South Africa before I got my job in Thailand. One of the things I, I did was I applied for this, this grant or this kind of like retreat, I guess this memoir writing retreat in Bali from this guy, Mastin Kipp. I don't know if you ever followed him, but he used to send out these emails called the daily love. And I used to follow them all the time. And he was, you know, hosting this writing retreat in Bali. I wrote this like whole thing about, you know, like my story and why I would want to, to go to come to Bali where I live now to write. And it was funny because I came across that email a couple months ago and I was like, whoa, I'm actually doing this thing that I I wanted to do. And i got gotten accepted into the program, but I just at the time I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford the investment. Now I'm living in like the jungle in a house and I, you know, I'm a full-time writer and writing coach. And I'm like, this is so cool. Like how full circle that
2: is. Yes, 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 yes to all of it. I mean, what for you is, is we we come keep coming back to writing and the power of writing and the power of writing your story. And that's everything from journaling exercises to, you know, what you've done at times, you know, with me and, you know, creative prompts. Can you talk a little bit about that and how powerful it is, as I know you're a writing coach, so talk a little bit about the power of storytelling and why it's important because I want people who are listening to this conversation to understand that their story is being written, even as they think about where they're going to move, or even if they've made that move, like everything builds on something else. So, can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, of course. I think it, there's just something super magical about pen to paper, especially when it comes to understanding yourself. And we all have, you know, these these inner critics in our lives that, you know, tell us not to do things or really like kind of put obstacles in our way because they're they're really fear based. But I find that when we're journaling and when we are just being really honest with ourselves and we're allowing ourselves to show up in a way that just lets us really express how we're feeling, even if even if it's a little bit more dark, you know, it's coming back to that, that allows you to really see patterns and to learn about yourself and to kind of cultivate different habits. So I found The Artist Way is a book I listened to when I was living in Thailand. I would walk to work every morning and it was maybe like a 15 minute walk. And so on the walk, I would listen to the the story by this woman Julia Cameron and she talked of so much about morning pages you know when I was living in South Africa the year before I was writing and it was just very I would say like eye-opening and grief driven and like a lot of forgiveness and healing um, but it was very sporadic it wasn't there was not like a lot of intention behind it besides sharing with my family members back home and then in Thailand it started to elevate and become more of this like I can actually really use like the jumbled thoughts in my head as a, as a roadmap to understanding myself. And so I started a morning pages practice, which is, you know, you know, as soon as you wake up in the morning, maybe you make a cup of coffee or maybe meditate quickly, but she suggests that you really just like write down everything that's in your head, not censoring, not editing yourself and letting it all just be on the page. And that it's just like this way of getting out the noise. And so usually in the morning when you wake up, you're like, oh, I have all these things to do. And like maybe the dread or the anxiety starts to set in. But when you write it down on paper, a lot of times it takes away the edge. It makes it less big. And then the second part of morning pages is you're meant to not actually read them for two weeks. And that's because it gives you space from it. So when you go back to read it, you actually don't feel the same attachment to your words or your emotions or experiences, you can just learn from what you wrote down, especially because you're not censoring or editing yourself. And a lot of times because of what we've been conditioned to by either our peers or educators or what we've seen in the media, a lot of times we're not actually allowing ourselves to be honest with ourselves on on the page because we think that we need to be super positive in order to get through something. So sometimes instead of just sharing like that you're going through something pretty crappy, you're just like, oh, well, this happened, but I'm okay, or I'm going to get through it, which is fine and great. But you're not allowing yourself to really release what's in there. And so that it finds a place somewhere. It, It starts to fester or it starts to become burnout or stress or physical ailments because you're not allowing it to be released in a natural way. So that was a really tremendous shift for me. And I started doing on my walks. I wasn't actually ready to write every day. For some reason, I had a lot of hesitation around that and resistance. So what I did is I voice recorded myself on my walks. 15 minutes, you know, I would just talk to myself, not edit myself, not censor myself. And then two weeks later, I'd listen to it and I'd start jotting down things that I noticed or maybe like my intuition was telling me something. And I would be able to see like, oh, wow, my intuition told me that and it actually happened. Or I'd be able to see I I feel this kind of way every time I'm around this specific person. And it wouldn't I wouldn't have noticed it if I hadn't started to, to listen back or start to read back on my own thoughts. And so then that transformed a bit. And I met a woman who I lived with and worked with. Her name was Christine. And we talked about the culture of connection as an expat. And for us in the town, Everyone who was connecting was mostly connecting by going to the bars or getting drunk or, you know, smoking or there wasn't a lot of growth that was happening. There wasn't a lot of depth that was happening. And we really both talked about stories that we wanted to tell and like different creative pursuits that we had. So we decided to start meeting weekly to kind of cultivate that space for ourselves. And we we called it the Warrior Writers And we invited other people. But for the most part, it just started out with just the two of us. And we met each week and we started out with a couple prompts and creating things for ourselves and then eventually became pretty big. And we had a group of people who came every week. And then eventually we ended up doing three different writing retreats over the next couple of years, mostly for teachers. And it was just about, you know sharing your story, but then also the art of fiction and how fiction can actually help you relate to your life in a different way as well, because you can you can do different things. You can replay different scenes and see what would have happened if I had made this choice. And you can do that with your characters. So it was super fun and amazing. And then I went on to teaching writing in schools in Vietnam. And then now in Bali, I was teaching at the Green School for the last three years before this last year when I took off and I was teaching a novel writing program with students. And, you know, at the end of this last year, one of my students dropped off a book that she wrote in my class and published. And it's just like really awesome to be able to see to see the power it has even on young people. And now I'm coaching writers through writing their memoirs. I was just telling you before we got on the the podcast pieces, I was doing a coaching call with a woman who's writing her memoir. And it's just such a healing journey for her to be able to go back through the different lessons she's learned through the different people she's interacted with and just kind of how we are shaped by our environment and the people who are around us and, The writing process has been such a great way for her to go back in a safe way to release that.
2: That is so powerful. You talked about like going on your walks and doing the recording. I love the exercise that you, you know, really spelled out because it is an actionable and tangible tool that anyone can utilize to clear their mind, clear the space and get distance from the things that are in our head. Because as human beings, a lot of suffering comes from attachment. How has Bali enabled you to really flourish? Because you talked a little bit about, you know, the the environment and and being able to like unlock the writing. Do you find that just being in Bali, the sounds, the smells helps or tell me more a little bit about that?
0: Girl, Bali has brought me on its own journey. So it's interesting when I first got to Bali, my husband and I weren't really in love with it the way everyone else was because I think where we lived in Thailand it was much more remote. There weren't as many foreigners and so we just felt like we were really getting to experience Thailand in in an authentic way. And when we got to Bali, we were super excited because we we only really knew about it because of the Green School and I'd heard about the Green School when I was in grad school and it's a school about for sustainability. So we were really excited mostly for the school. And so when we got here, we were really shocked by how much the tourism industry impacts the livelihood of the people here in Bali. And it was a little disconcerting for us at first. So it took us a while to, I feel like really fall in love because we really wanted to embrace the the community of teachers we were working with. So we, we lived in Ubud first, um, And then we lived down in Changu. Ubud is more of like the cultural center closer to the jungles. Changu is more of like the beachy areas. You've got a lot of surfers. There's some partying. So we lived in both areas to kind of get to know like the different people in our community to kind of figure out where is the best place for us. Because both of them are about 30 minutes from the school. And it wasn't until our second year. When we decided neither of those places were actually for us and we moved to a local neighborhood where there's not really that many foreigners at all. And we're about 10 minutes from the school. We can bicycle to a like a rice field, which I've done. I think you've seen on my lives. I've done a couple of showings of that. We're about 30 minutes from the beach where I go kayaking and I'm about 10 minutes from a local ashram where I, I practice yoga with a woman from Bali. I find that my needs for things are less now that I'm living in this area and my um, ability to just, just allow myself to kind of luxuriate in sounds and senses is definitely heightened. When I was living down in Changu, I feel there's ads everywhere in English and there's name brand things everywhere. And it just, it kind of puts you in this, state of need and the state of okay well what what don't i have or how can i look like this whereas here i'm not i don't see any of that i just i'm looking at palm trees and y- ylang-ylang trees and the garden and the rice fields and it's just the sensory overload isn't there the way it is at least the unnatural sensory overload whereas like i my senses are overloaded here but in a really calming and natural way
2: that's beautiful because it's funny as I'm listening to your, you talk, I feel the same way, I guess, in some respects. When I think about going abroad and being in a community, I have an automatic aversion to being around like expats. And what I hear from you is that you thrive. And crave, I guess, is probably the better word. Authentic connection. And not that you can't have authentic connection with expats. That's not what I'm suggesting. But being able to be around the locals seems to be, you know, a better fit, especially given all of the travel that you've done leading up to this. One thing that strikes me about you is that you are definitely, in my view, an empathic creative. When I was reading your bio, you talked about what we have all been encountering over this past year and a half, the pandemic. What struck me is you believe that the world is in a deep state of PTSD, can you talk about and explain in your mind what that really means and then also ways in which, in your opinion, we can start to heal?
0: What was really striking to me during the beginning is just kind of watching the fear transmit from person to person. So we have the actual virus that's happening physically and, you know, we're tracking the data and we're seeing that. and. You know, we're inundated with the news of that on media, but I think that when you zoom out and start to look at what was happening emotionally for people and mentally for people is fear was becoming so permeated into our interactions with each other. I would call home and instead of having a like, Hey, how are you? Or like, Hey, it's good to see you. Or just like even doing the basic greetings, it would be. You know, what are your numbers in Indonesia today? Or what are you going to do if a vaccine gets, gets available? Or it's just very, everyone's cutting to these uh, like these very intense lines of questioning. There's not a lot of space to not, not think about what's going on in a lot of ways. It started to become. You know, a norm to be afraid, a norm to assume the worst about someone else if they are not believing in the same thing that you believe. Um, and a lot of division and divisiveness started to permeate conversations as a space holder, as a coach, as a, as an educator. You know, one of the things that I, I learned early on in my training is that when you are defensive or when you are on the offensive, really, when you're starting a conversation, you're not going to get anywhere with someone if you don't have the intention to listen and hold space for the other person. So I felt like during this last year and a half, trust was broken with a lot of different relationships, regardless of what the past relationship have looked like. You know, as, as human beings, we're, we are, we are, you know, community oriented beings. Like as much as I love isolation and my rest and things like that, like, connection and communication and community are things that, you know, they help us to thrive. And we we are not individuals. We are not able to survive without each other. And so I think that this has been a really, really intense time for a lot of people because it's, it's isolated people, not only physically, but also emotionally and mentally. And there's been a lot of, you know, hatred that's been building up. I think that one of the things that's really important is to turn off social media and not look at it all the time because we used to be in a in a way where you would find out the news but it wasn't constantly coming at you and so you had time to process you also had time to step away from it and release it and now if you want to it can be a part of your background noise you could have the radio on or the news on as you're cooking you can be looking at you know Instagram and see when you scroll the stats if you're following all of those different types of accounts and so it just brought to mind that we don't have a lot of mental health practices in place um, as individuals as a as a society so and by that I mean like we don't talk enough about like how we can create pauses for ourselves and how we can create boundaries for ourselves in the in the education in the traditional education sense. Places like Green School and different forest schools and different schools that focus on mindfulness do um, really try to incorporate ways for kids to regulate their emotional well-being and mental well-being. But that's not something that is the norm at the moment. So a lot of people are left really in in reactive, trying to respond and trying to, to heal themselves after the fact. Whereas I think that moving forward, what's really important, especially as we're in this huge transition phase is focusing education on how to help kids learn how to create boundaries for themselves and learn how to create emotional, you know, toolkits where they are able to understand their own emotional patterns and how it differs from others and how their interactions with the world is going to affect them as they get older. A lot of us, I feel like when you look at memes about millennials, it talks about this really stressed out generation. And I think that we have, we also have this like really huge awareness that I feel like generations before us didn't really have the space or time to say no to things and to kind of debunk the traditional methods of making money and career paths. And I think that this is a really important time to, To implement, you know, mindfulness practices and well-being practices and making this like hustle culture a thing of the past and finding ways to take care of each other as a as a society versus that competition mentality and like the capitalist mentality and the materialistic mentality and just really finding ways to do preventative measures versus just always reacting.
2: Yeah, and I hope we all can get to that place. One thing that I have seen as we, you know, continue to go through this pandemic, I mean, you're currently, Bali is in in lockdown. But one thing that I see is more of a discussion around mental health. We're seeing it with athletes talking about, you know, performance and, and the stress. And we're seeing people who are seeking out mental health, even in the form of self-care, taking a pause from social media, taking a pause from their social media accounts in whatever form or fashion, employers giving wellness days. You know, I want to see more of that because to your point, there is a collective trauma that we've all encountered everyone's processing or dealing with it in different ways. And so to shift from that reactionary kind of response to a more a response that is really rooted in having greater compassion for oneself, as well as the rest of humanity, will inevitably allow us all to get to a better place in a better space. So I, I love this dialogue that we've had on on this topic.
1: Hey, I hope that you are enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. If building a business, if having your own business has been part of your vision of a life well-lived for quite some time and you haven't been able to really make it happen, or perhaps you aren't as profitable as you'd like, or perhaps you're not sustainable like you would like, like you would need to be to live abroad, invite you to join my build a business abroad group coaching program you can learn more about me as a business strategist and more about the program at my professional website christinejobe.com that's c-h-r-i-s-t-i-n-e-j-o-b.com and of course there'll be links to all of this information in the description of this episode all right back to the show
2: So I, I wanna shift a little bit because I teased it in our intro. It were accountability partners in Tamika G's program, Project U. For those of you listening you know that Tamika was episode twenty. You as well as Tamika and Theodra, who is episode two from season one, were part of a co working house. <laughs> I want to talk about this like next level in co-working and creativity because I want to understand and unpack, you know, what that is like, because being able to be around a bunch of different creatives and also not only just different creatives, but some of you are from different countries of origin, etc., different businesses. Can you talk a little bit about what that community or what that time was like
0: so actually that was probably the coolest thing that i've done in a really long time and the the three of us and tamika g's business partner whitney we were all in Lombok, indonesia which is an island close to bali um, we were there in 2019 visiting our friends who'd opened up these beautiful domes called Makalele Domes, and they were just opening it and wanted us to come and test it out. And so we all went and we just had the best time. And we just, you know, we were just daydreaming in the pool about like what our lives were going to look like and like the, all the different things we wanted to do. And We were like, how cool would it be if, you know, one day we were all like living together or we come back or you know, so fast forward during the pandemic, and we're all in different places around the world. And we started having like weekly check-ins and just kind of like catching up with each other and making sure we're doing okay and kind of emotional well-being check-ins. And then Tamika recommended that we read this book called May Cause Miracles by Gabby Bernstein. So it had like journaling prompts and meditations, and it was a 40-day challenge. And we did it and we checked in with each other about magic that was that was coming into our lives. And then things started to open up again. And we were like, what if, you know, when Whitney and Tamika come back to do some of their work, we get a house together for a couple months and just like create together and make intentional, you know, intentional schedules and and just like grow together. So that process started in like October of last year. And then it just kind of Continue to grow and to mold and shift and sh- shape into what we had was the co-working house. So in May and June of this last year, we lived together down by the beach. We were six minutes from the ocean. So we would do daily walks either at sunrise or sunset. We would, we had a meal prep person. So we would send our meal plans that were mostly created by Tamika G and Whitney G from their whole experience project. U. And we would send this to the to the lady. I mean, she pretty much started a business from after working with us. And so she would send the meals a few days later, all cooked and fresh ingredients, and really healthy and nutritious and yummy. The fridge and freezer situation was hilarious, trying to figure out whose meals was what. But that was super nice to just take away that decision making fatigue when it comes to food. I didn't realize for me growing up, when my mom, you know, she was working multiple jobs and we you know, weren't always sure what we were going to be eating. And like, so I kind of took that trauma into adulthood and I didn't really realize it until I had all my food for me for the whole week. And I didn't have to think about it and making the decision or thinking about, you know, where it was coming from. It's just, I didn't realize how nice that was. So my husband and I currently still follow that meal plan and have our meals prepped and they come in on Sunday and we have it for the whole week. So that's, Amazing. And then we would do intention setting meetings once a week where we would set our goals. We would, we would have our personal goals that we wanted to achieve, like around self-care and personal development. We would have our professional development goals that we would want to achieve. And then we would have our community time goals that we want to achieve. So we would suggest different things like paint nights or writing nights or learning about crypto or, you know, going bowling or go axe throwing, trying out different restaurants in town. And we just really enjoyed creating together and learning together. And, you know, Tamika taught me and Deidre how to flat twist our hair in a really short amount of time, which was really fun. And we called that time together deconditioning with the aunties. So it's like, you know, you're you're deconditioning the hair, but you're also deconditioning, you know, maybe some, you know, limited beliefs that we would had. And we were able to do that because we were mirrors for each other. When you're living in close proximity with people, it's a lot easier to see, you know, where they're, they're holding themselves back, or maybe they're not showing up for themselves and in their self worth. And we had all created such a safe space that we could, we could approach each other with those things and share and be like, Hey, you know, you said this was your intention, but I see you not showing up in this way. And what can we do to support you? And so it was super supportive. It was super nourishing. It was a little bit manic, though, because we were all entrepreneurs and we all had like so many ideas and we we're all so creative. So there was a couple of times where uh, when my husband would come. <laughs> He would be like, okay, you know, we'd have like a little bowl with little like challenges. So if anybody was talking about work past the time that we had designated, you have to have to pull out the challenge and, you know, jump in the pool or do push-ups. And we were trying to kind of give ourselves like these boundaries, which sometimes we blurred and sometimes we didn't. So it was just really fun to 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 be in that space with them. And even I've been home now for a couple of weeks and I definitely took the first week to just really release get back into kind of like a sustainable flow to rest and to reflect. And then this last week is just like all of the seeds that were, you know, planted during that time together, are just coming to fruition. And, you know, my, my mind maps all over the house are just next level. So I think it was like a boost in creativity, a boost in self-worth, a boost in community during a time where a lot of people are really isolated. And it was really a nourishing experience
2: it sounds amazing and i definitely enjoyed watching all the reels from <laughs> from afar but it also for me to hear you know what it was like is just to talk about the power of collective creativity right and just being in different you know entrepreneurial spaces but having that ability to help one another thrive and expand really in different ways sounds just delightful. So I'm so glad you shared that with us and also really just got a a chance to kind of see what what is up ahead. Speaking of like, what's up ahead? What's up ahead for you? Because I, I when we got on to our conversation, I was talking to you about a recent post that you shared. So you want to talk a little bit about that and, and something that you have for our listeners?
0: I'm a writer, as, as you shared in my bio at the beginning, but I'm also a writing coach. And so I really like I took a year off of teaching. I took a sabbatical. I, I'm doing air quotes because I was I was really burnt out and I really needed some time to decompress. In that time off, I developed a writing coaching business and it's become really, really beautiful. And it's been growing really organically, which has been really nice. And so I have a unlocking creativity, creative writing membership. So we meet weekly to do creative writing together. And then monthly, I lead a masterclass that really helps to refine, revise, expand stories that the the creatives and the writers create throughout the month. So that's something I have. And our next intake of members is happening over the next couple of weeks. So we'll start back up in August, August. That is one big thing. And then I'm also when I got back, one of the things that I did was I mind mapped three different courses that I'm going to be putting out. And I I wrote out 54 lessons and it just like it came easily. So there's going to be a memoir writing course. There's going to be a tiny fiction or tiny universes course where it talks about the art of short stories and the art of flash fiction, which is super fun. And then the one that I think is my my really close to my heart is the, the healing through journaling course, which will look at how you grow through grief and gratitude. So those those things are coming out in September. I also do coaching. I do one on one coaching in both education. So I coach educational leaders and teachers and then I also do writing coaching. So I've been coaching a graphic novelist and a memoirist and a short story writer. And then I also do a little bit of intuitive coaching. So that's more of like life coaching where we work on like mindset inner critic. And we use a lot of the same tools that I use with my, my educators and my writers, because, you know, kind of creating a sustainable practice of mindfulness and mindset is, is actually really. It's really important. It's really near and dear to my heart as well. But that is closed off until October. So I'm at capacity, which is amazing and crazy. And I never thought that would happen. So that's really cool. And I'm really grateful for that. And then I have a um, 28-day writing challenge that people can take if they're interested. And that's just creative writing prompts come to your email each day. For all the listeners, I have a really awesome daily reflection tool for you to use. Maybe you're not a journaler yet. Um, And you kind of need some prompts. It's a great exercise. And you can just take five minutes to to answer the questions each day, even in the morning or maybe in the evening. And there's even a playlist that goes along with it. So you can listen to some soothing music. And yeah, that's that's what's going on for me. Oh, I'm also writing three books at the moment, two fiction novels, one's magical realism, one is historical fiction. And then I'm writing a nonfiction book. I'm actually focusing on the nonfiction book at the moment. And it is looking at the cycles of cultivating
2: creativity. Oh, my goodness. I am so excited for all of the things that not only are coming down the pike for people who are interested in partaking in your courses, and I know I I'll be signing up, but also all of the blessings that come along with that and come your way for you to have like a full, full <laughs> calendar to be at capacity. I love that for you. And I'm so excited, especially like you said, you took that year sabbatical and you, you know, you know, like everything, right? was open and available to what would come up and all of the things that you shared that have happened in the time since is just, for me at least, really remarkable and so beautiful for to see it unfold for you. In closing, Esther, I want to ask what along this journey thus far has been your biggest triumph and your biggest challenge?
0: Ooh, great question. I would say that my biggest triumph is actually learning how to set boundaries. I used to be, I'm a recovering people pleaser and I'm a recovering hustler for validation. And I would say in the last few years, I have really learned how to say no I've learned how to energetically budget my time and money and that has been something that I don't think I I could ever have imagined for myself in my in my younger in my younger version of myself. So I'm really grateful for that new superpower. I would say the biggest challenge is honestly being away from my my siblings and my baby cousin. I am able to talk to them weekly, which is amazing, but For me, missing out on some of the big experiences because I'm abroad and it's harder to get home all the time is definitely something that I I still work through and will probably work through the rest of my
2: time abroad. Wow. I know that, you know, no matter how much technology we have at our fingertips, there's nothing like that personal connection. So I'm hoping that, you know, things will start to ease and that you guys can bridge the the physical distance very soon. Esther, where can people find you?
0: People can find me at com. E-S-T-Y-U-B-U-N-T-U. And that's also my Instagram handle. I am usually pretty active on my Instagram. I've actually taken the last two weeks off, so you won't see anything in my stories until next week. But I have some links in my bio and on my website. There's access to the membership, the writing challenge, the daily reflection tool. I'm pretty approachable. So if you message me in my DMs or email, I, I will definitely respond.
2: Fantastic. So I hope everyone that's listening got all that. But if you didn't, I'll be sure to link those in the show notes for this episode. So Esther, thank you so much for being a guest and sharing your remarkable story on the Blacksit Global podcast.
1: All right. I hope you all enjoyed that episode of Blacksit Global featuring Esther Malanzi. Thank you again, Krishan, for doing this swap with me. I really appreciate it. I tell you guys all the time, if you guys listen to any of my IG lives or YouTube, when it comes to business, when it comes to podcasting and being creative, collaboration is the key. I don't just say it, I live it. And honestly, it is just the way to go. Collaboration, we always uplift each other. And I'm so happy to be in community with a group of amazing Black women podcasters. So shout out to Krishan. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me. I appreciate you. And for you, the audience, I am going to have some more little guest featured episodes coming to you this year. I think y'all really like it. Let me know what you think about this episode. Definitely drop in my DMs. Let me know if there's podcasts you'd like to hear. Or you think maybe I should collaborate with. I'm, I'm really open to it. As I said before, I'm a collaborator by nature. That's what I enjoy. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to Flourish on the Foreign and supporting Flourish on the Foreign. I appreciate you. You can always support Flourish on the Foreign by buying me a coffee. Go ahead and buy Krishan a coffee. And if you are interested in move abroad with intention, build a business abroad or anything else, be sure to sign up for the flourishing foreign newsletter and make sure that I'm not in your spam folder because oftentimes when I email you guys, it is time sensitive. Like sometimes I'll open the door to move about with intention, but I'll put like a great incentive to it. But you have to act like on that day. And I feel sad when everyone's like, oh, it's in the spam folder. I only read it like a week ago. And can I have, and I'm like, no, no, because it was only for that day. So I don't want y'all to be sad because I hate I don't really like telling y'all no, but I got to say it, you know, boundaries. But if you guys are interested in all these things, you want to definitely make sure that I am in your inbox. I'm not in your spam, especially for these last couple of months of the year. I have a lot of really special things for y'all. So if you have been wanting to work with me in any capacity, you'll definitely want to make sure you're on my newsletter list for sure. Okay? Flourishinforine.com. And remember, it is not about moving abroad, y'all. Mm-mm. And it's definitely not about like being abroad because you could be abroad and be miserable. Okay. I got stories. Okay. <laughs> I got stories. It is about flourishing abroad. Yes. Yes. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See y'all next time. Bye. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. My surgery was very, very easy. All I had to do was go to a doctor or I just went to an emergency room with my issue and they were like, okay, you need the surgery. Okay, we're gonna do it on this day you know whatever like they don't they don't say oh how is oh, where's your money